I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Football Live. I'm Wendy Nix with Desmond Howard and Greg McElroy. You will hear plenty from these guys, but we start with the news that has everybody all worked up like ants at a picnic. Can you say super conference? Because that's what we might be looking at. According to a Houston Chronicle report, Texas and Oklahoma have reached out to the SEC about joining the conference. That means the Big 12 will meet tonight to talk about what's next. It's a move that could change the landscape of college football. Here's Kirk Herbstreet on the state of our sport. I feel like it's a very fragile sport right now, you know, with name, image, and likeness and the transfer portal. And now we got a couple blue bloods that are thinking of basically, I mean, if you lose OU in Texas, the Big 12's gone. What, what do all the other teams do in that conference? Where do they go? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I have no idea where we're headed uh, five years from now, ten years from now, uh, with this sport. You know, we guys like us who are traditionalists, we can be upset and concerned, but we better get our arms around this stuff because it's, you know, what I'm saying. I mean, you, you and I can be upset and say, man, I miss the tradition. I miss the old Big Eight or the Big Twelve and the Pac-10 and the Pac-12 now. But you know what? You, we better. We better just accept it and and try to make make some sense out of it. Well, you better, because it's happening, perhaps anyway. And how about being the new Pac-12 commissioner? He had this to say on Twitter. Just when I thought my first month on the job could not get more interesting. Well, guess what? It did. Paul Feinbaum joins us now. And Paul, listen, if you're a fan of boring or the status quo, you need not apply right now. Uh, we are in a time of anything, but what, what do you make of this one and the potential changes to the SEC? Wendy, I think this is one of the most amazing moments in, in college football history. And if, if this goes the distance, and right now I think there's a reasonably good chance it will, you're, you're talking about blowing up the, the system that we now know it. And I think I've said that, and you, you've said it, and a lot of people have said it recently. I mean, how many times can we say this is one of those seismic moments in college football history? We just got through saying it about 22 days ago when NIL came along. But the idea that, that two of the biggest and baddest brands in college football could be moving over to what's already the best conference is, is just, uh, I'm, I'm gobsmacked by it. Uh, and, and what does it mean to the rest of the world? What does it mean to all the other leagues who are trying to catch up and, and now almost have no chance? Well, yeah, the rich get richer. There's no question. And listen, there are a few as plugged into this situation uh, with contacts as you are. What, you know, outside of the SEC, outside of the power players involved, what's, what's been the general initial reaction? Well, I think initially uh, the story broke, uh, I think about 440 
Eastern time. And Wendy, I, I was you know doing a show here, talking to various people, writers, uh, et cetera. And I think most people thought it was a joke. <laughs> I swear. Like it's just some guy throwing throwing something up against uh, the wall and see if it sticks. But the more that we heard, the more that we all were able to coalesce around information and the non-denial denials, uh, the reality started to strike. Uh, and and, I, and I, like I said, it, it is real. I think it's been real for some time. And it, it just blows up another construct of college football. And I'm particularly interested in where are the next moves on the chessboard uh, if it's does it stay at 16 in the SEC? Does uh, a couple of other does the Big 12 completely fold? Uh, Notre Dame sitting there is the most valuable pawn left. Uh, do they move to the ACC? Does uh, somebody else move around? I mean, uh, frankly, there aren't that many attractive choices. Uh, you know, Notre, Notre Dame really is the, the last of the Mohicans, so to speak, and. I don't know where you go if you're the ACC uh, outside of Notre Dame or if you're the Big Ten especially. You know, who are you going to pick off that matters? Yeah, listen, I say this tongue-in-cheek. I know we don't really have a switchboard anymore, but can you imagine answering the vote at Notre Dame this afternoon? I mean, it might blow up the lines in South Bend, but uh, we'll see. Uh, it is certainly going to be interesting, Paul, and as always, we appreciate your perspective. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Wendy. Well, we go back to Hoover, Alabama, where, Greg, you're still there. And listen, you know, you sort of casually said to us yesterday, what, around 4 o'clock, hey, I'm hearing this, there's a report out there. Boy, little did we know, uh, it's certainly more than a rumor at this point. Greg, what, what's the reaction today as compared to when you were there yesterday? Well, the one thing I've found out, Wendy, in the last 24 hours, and it's almost 24 hours to the second, I might add you, is that this is actually a very real thing. Yesterday, it was smoke. Today I've been told it's fire. And it also appears in talking to people that are a little more knowledgeable on the situation is that this has been going on for a little longer than we might expect. I also think this is a little bit of a power play from Texas and Oklahoma to essentially listen to overtures, not just from the SEC, but from the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and even the ACC to a certain extent. So this is a basically a, a leverage play from Texas and OU to say, hey, we're unhappy with the current normal. We're more willing to listen than ever before. Give us your best offer, and let's see whether or not it's something we want to consider. I've actually talked to people surrounding the SEC, and basically they're viewing it as this. The SEC is already remarkably strong. The SEC is already remarkably financially strong. But with the addition of Texas and OU, it can become essentially the sole destination for the highest levels of college football. And I think that's a big, big attraction for the SEC at this moment. So, Des, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what the timeline looks like. All I know is that if Texas and OU join the SEC, you're potentially looking among the top 15 programs in college football, seven or eight reside in the SEC. It would be a seismic shift and one that would alter college football forever. Yeah, I know. When we talked about this yesterday, when it first broke, Greg, when you first broke the news on this show, College Football Live, I was trying to figure out what's the motivation. And there are only two motivations, two factors for a team to try to uh, jump to another conference. One would be for a competitive advantage. And number two would be for financial reasons. Well, I think we can throw number one out the window because I don't think the Texas Longhorns or the Oklahoma, Oklahoma Sooners will get some sort of competitive advantage by leaving 
the Big 12 and going into the SEC. But number two, financial reasons, that's when it starts to make sense. And then you understand why they may want to join into the SEC, make a super conference. And we already know on the table is a new proposal for the college football playoff. So some sort of expansion, maybe to go to 12 teams, maybe to go to eight. They understand that the financial ramifications and leaving the Big 12, and they just feel like the Big 12 probably as a conference doesn't offer them all of the financial guarantees that they want or that they deserve as a brand. Texas is a huge brand, so is Oklahoma. So now they say, hey, but the SEC, this is a, a conference or a league that's more in line with our brand. So this is all about a financial move at this point. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. I should mention again, the Big 12 is scheduled a meeting for this evening around 6 o'clock to talk about this. I would guess it will be a very spirited discussion, and we'll leave it at that. We'll have more on that tomorrow, of course, on College Football Live. We will switch gears. The ACC also in the news today, holding Media Days Day 2 in Charlotte, North Carolina. Today it was Clemson's turn. Trevor Lawrence, we know, has moved on. DJ Uwe Ungalale next in line to step in those shoes. He actually started two games last year while Trevor dealt with COVID. Uh, he has a recording of total QBR over 90 in those two games. While Lawrence and Travis Etienne, don't forget, are gone, Justin Ross returns after missing last season with a back injury, nearly 2,000 receiving yards to his name in just two seasons. And then the expectations high, six college football playoff appearances for the Tigers, tied with Alabama for most all time. They have a 78% chance to make it back this season. Here is Coach Dabo Sweeney. I think we've got 22 former players that are either full-time coaches, coordinators, uh, Paul Journey, strength conditioning, uh, player development, analysts, whatever it may be. And I think their perspective is priceless. They've lived it. And they, they've done it. And uh, most of them, most all of them played for me. And so, you know, I'm not here if it wasn't for the player. And so for me to be able to give a guy an opportunity that played for me is a big deal. Some things I would definitely say was definitely true blessing to be able to get uh, get some starts into the game last season. I got a whole week of preparation, becoming a starting quarterback, so I'll be able to get into that Notre Dame film. And there's definitely a lot of things I could take from last season. I learned a lot backing up Trevor, seeing the way he runs the field, see the way he just treats off the field too. Just how true he's a true definition of a professional in my eyes. That's why I feel like Trevor I could take from last year and then learning from the different games. But there's a lot of stuff that I'll be taking. Clemson has owned the ACC recently. The Tigers have won six straight conference titles, tied for the third longest streak in the FBS since classification began in 1937. One more for Clemson would tie them with BYU for the second longest such streak. Well, look, Trevor Lawrence moves on. It's time to retool. That's the way it goes. Uh, EJ Manuel joins us now, also covering the ACC. He's in Charlotte. EJ, I'll start with you. Uh, who better to talk about the quarterback replacement program Trevor is gone. DJ steps in. What do you expect to see? 
Yeah, Wendy, I expect a great play. That, like, exactly what he showed last year in those two games, uh, the first one being against Boston College. And again, that wasn't an easy game for DJ to come in and play. Look, Boston College punched them in the gut in that first half, but with his prowess and his understanding, his confidence, he was able to wheel them back and get that victory. And then that second game, Notre Dame, he looked clean. It wasn't like they lost the game because of what DJ did. Did an excellent job of taking care of the football. And guys, I got a chance to meet him here today in person. He's a big guy, pretty much looking at me eye to eye. So he's about 6'5", maybe 6'5 and a half, big hands. And so I'm excited to see what Big Cinco can bring to this Clemson football team. Well, I think he's got Tiger fans, uh, fingers crossed anyway. Uh, Des, Travis Etienne moves on, though, as well. So it's not just the quarterback. Uh, who steps in and replaces Etienne? Yeah, Wendy, I'm tired of everyone talking about Trevor Lawrence as if, like, he was the only superstar they had <laughs> on that fantastic team. You know what I mean? They had Travis Etienne, who was an excellent running back for, like, three or four years for Clemson. Very productive. And what I really liked about Travis Etienne from 2019 to 2020, when his produ productivity slowed down as a running back as far as carrying the ball, he actually reinvented himself as a receiver, a viable receiver for Trevor Lawrence. Coming out of the backfield. So not only are they going to miss Trevor Lawrence, but the leadership and the experience and knowledge and the, the dual threat of ability as a guy who can run with the ball or catch the ball out of the backfield that Travis Etienne brought to the offense, that's going to be some big shoes that they're going to have to fill. I think it's going to be multiple guys, Wendy. I don't think there's one guy who could fulfill the role that Travis Etienne had last year or the last three years for Clemson. I believe it's going to be multiple guys to try to fill that position. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the way it works when you have a player the caliber of ETN. I thought you might say that about the quarterback, by the way, Des. I had a feeling. EJ, I'll, <laughs> I'll go back to you because when you talk about that, that teamwork, that committee approach, they do get Justin Ross back. How, what will that look like? Yeah, well, look, getting Justin Ross back is huge. One, because this guy's going to be completely healthy. Obviously, he missed last season recovering with a back injury, but you're talking about a guy that's been walking around looking like Julio Jones from what I've been told. And this guy can be a, a special player, and he's already shown light of being, I think, a top 10 pick when he comes out into the NFL draft. Again, that's going to give DJ even more confidence to throw those 50-50 balls. And guys, don't forget, it's not just going to be Justin Ross. It's going to be uh, EJ Williams, Frank Latson Jr., Joseph Ngata. So look, you talk about the size that Clemson's bringing and back a receiver. That's what's going to be special when these guys line up when 11 personnel is going to be scary. Yeah, EJ, you know that the, uh, the, the, the one thing you need for a quarterback who's about to start the season, a season, you know, he played some games, he started some games, but to start the season, you want some veteran guys around him. And bringing a guy like Justin Ross, who's an extraordinary wide receiver, he can make all the catches, um, he can get vertical, he can run short routes, he can run the whole route tree, and he has a lot of confidence. He's the guy who's going to be able to give DJ the confidence out there on the field if it starts to wane a little bit, if he starts to have any sort of doubt. You look at Justin Ross, and he's going to be the man that's going to pick DJ up and pick up the offense. So to bring in a guy, to bring him back, that's that talented coming off of injury is a huge boost for Clemson's offense. 
Listen, he'll get uh, he'll get the chance early to be on a big stage. Clemson and Georgia kicking things off September 4th. It'll be here before you know it. Meanwhile, we all have to learn how to say uh, spell Ui Ungalale. We can say it now. Now we got to learn to spell it. That <laughs> may take some time. Uh, still to come on College Football Live. It's not just about the SEC or the ACC. The Big Ten, too, is busy. Coming up, Jim Harbaugh and Michigan getting ready for a big year. A live report on everything going on at Big Ten Media Day. Plus, it was, in fact, a down year for James Franklin and Penn State last season. Is that an aberration, or will they bounce back in 2021? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's talk about the Big Ten. Ohio State has won the conference four straight years. The Buckeyes the favorite to make it number five. They'll have to replace Justin Fields, though, at quarterback. The other question mark, though, who will come out of the West? According to FPI, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Northwestern all have at least a 19% chance to make it to Indianapolis. And then there's Ann Arbor. In Ann Arbor, Michigan, they look to rebound from a disappointing 2-4 and four season, their second-worst record in the last 50 years. Here's head coach Jim Harbaugh. Well, I'm here before you. I mean, I'm as uh, enthusiastic and excited as I ever am, always am, uh, you know, even more, um, you know, to have at it, to, uh, you know, to win the championship, to, uh, you know, to, to win the beat Ohio, your, your, uh, your hometown there. Uh, you know, our rivals, Michigan State, uh, you know, Everybody, that's that's what we want to do, and uh, and we're going to do it or die trying. Gene Wojciechowski joins us from Big Ten Media Days in India. Whoa, that sounds so formal, but anyway, that is your name. So, listen, I know you just sat down with Coach Harbaugh <laughs> and had a chance to talk with him. What was your key takeaway from that conversation? You know, Wendy, there's uh, you know he mentioned how energized he is. I, it was noticeable. Uh, first of all, physically, he's different. He said, uh, I asked him, you know, it looks like you've been working out a lot. He said he's been spending a lot of time with his uh, strength and conditioning coach at Michigan, and he sort of half transformed his body. He's really into that. He loves what they've done with the staff. You know, he sort of turned half of it over. They've made some key changes on that staff. He loves the feeling in that locker room, in those meeting rooms. So I think that was sincere. He really does feel energized, feels different, feels like this team, this program is headed the right way. Well, listen, Woj, it's, speaking of different, it's been about 24 hours since the news that Oklahoma and Texas have reached out to the SEC. We don't know what will happen, but boy, does it have tongues wagging. Uh, what have you heard and what's been the reaction uh, around the Big Ten and everywhere in college football? 
Well, specifically here at the Big Ten uh, Media Days, uh, Commissioner Kevin Warren certainly acknowledged it. He was asked about it. I don't want to say he danced around uh, the question. I think it was more he doesn't really know exactly where that stands with OU in Texas, but he does acknowledge that change could be on the way. But more importantly, you know, they – uh, they named um, Barry Alvarez, a longtime Wisconsin coach, a Hall of Fame coach, as a special advisor to the Big Ten. And Barry Alvarez's charge included in that is uh, conference expansion. So I asked Barry a, a little later after Kevin Warren addressed the media, what does he know about this? He said it caught him by surprise. He was interested in the timing of it all. He said that the Big Ten, all the ADs, and he said we've had a million meetings the idea, the topic of conference expansion has not been raised. But when I said, do you have to be open to the idea now? He said, well, based on what we heard about OU in Texas, the idea that that is even being discussed, that yes, we at least have to be open to the idea. It's something that maybe we'll be forced to discuss at a later date. Right, Woj? I mean, you have no choice at this point. Whether it happens or not, you have to, at the very least, prepare for the possibility. Thank you, and, and best of luck in the next few days in Indy. We'll go back to Des and Greg. And Des, you heard what Woj had to say about Jim Harbaugh being energized. He signed that extension now through the 2025 season. I mean, I, it's not a make-or-break year. He's, he's in Michigan. He's going to stay. But is it – I mean, do we have to recalibrate our expectations for Michigan? Well, it depends on what your expectations are. And I watched the press conference he gave earlier. And most of the focus, Wendy and Greg, was on the defense, obviously, because defensive coordinator Don Brown is no longer there. And when you watch Michigan the last at least three or four seasons, I thought that they were able to score uh, enough points based on the type of offense that you would expect from a Jim Harbaugh offense, but far too often they got put in shootouts and they're just not designed to be in, in those types of games because Don, the defense just kept giving up more and more points, more and more yards, and they started to do it against opponents that you wouldn't expect it from, like from an Indiana, like from a Michigan State. So at that point, it was uh, the writing was on the wall that they were going to let go of the defensive coordinator, Don Brown. Now they have one. Uh, Mike McDonald, who's the, who was the linebackers coach at uh, Baltimore, he comes over. Harbaugh talks about the staff, the communication, how everyone's on the same page now. They're going to have seven returning starters from last year's defense. But now you have to see if, if the defensive scheme that McDonald brings to Ann Arbor will mesh with the talent that he's going to have in Ann Arbor. So it's going to be really interesting to see out the gate how the defense looks. But he did look, uh, look a little more physically fit and you could tell that coach Harbaugh was much more energized too, Greg. Here's the problem Des when I watch Michigan right now the expectation level is to play up to the level of a Penn State or Ohio State that's the expectation over the course of history but when I look at their actual personnel their personnel is just not there. Yes, they have some good players. Aiden Hutch is a great player along the defensive line. I think McNamara's got a chance to be pretty good. I think they've recruited well at certain spots, but across the board and as far as depth is concerned, they're a long way away. So what I need to know is that this scheme that you referenced, both offensively and defensively, is the scheme going to actually create an opportunity for the players to play above maybe their current talent level? And that's the question that I have, because when you watch the film, you watch the tape, guys are getting, getting beat badly 
along the line of scrimmage at Michigan, which never happened. And guys are getting beat badly in the secondary, which never happened. And offensively, they're not running away from anybody. There's no big play threat. So they got to find some answers there, and they got to figure out a way to create RPOs, create problems for the defense, because right now their skill and their talent level across the board is not recognizable when compared to some of the other super elite programs in the Big Ten. Well, Michigan, not the only school that has a year they'd like to bounce back from. It was uh, it was just a different kind of year for Penn State. Some would say it was COVID. Some would say it's a sign of things to come, sort of where you fall on this coin. Uh, but either way, the Nitt Nittany Lions started off the season 0-5. They rebounded, though, to win their final four games. The question is, which Penn State will we see in 2021? Here is head coach James Franklin. We better learn from this and we better grow from the experience, both personally and professionally. So I think at the end of the season, we were able to get back to doing things in a way that we are more accustomed to doing. But we did learn some great things uh, going through early in the season and taking some of those, those challenges and some of those uh, uh, obstacles and adversity and grow from it and learn from them as well. So uh, appreciate the question. Uh, I think we'll be better for it. It was painful on all of us, and I get that. Uh, but I'm excited about where we're headed and what we're going to do this year. Listen, Greg, you could argue there were some really positive pieces in place. That 0-5 start, tough to swallow, no question. But uh, was last year a blip on the radar? Do you expect we'll see a different Penn State team? I expect a complete bounce back, Wendy. And last year's 0-5 start, well, if not for a quarter of an inch against Indiana, that 0-5 start might have looked just a little bit different. They finished strong, though, and they didn't have to. At that point, a lot of teams were mailing it in because there were challenges with COVID that made things even more increasingly difficult than getting off to just a bad start and playing bad football. Here's what's a positive. One, you bring back your top three rushers. You bring back four of your top five pass catchers. You bring back your starting quarterback in Sean Clifford. And now you bring in Mike Yersich, an offensive coordinator previously of Texas, who has a really difficult scheme to defend. He wants to run the ball, but he wants to run the ball on the edges, which will take advantage of the athletic mismatches that Penn State can often create with their running backs and some of the talented guys that they'll have carrying the football. So I'm really optimistic about Penn State this year. I think people are not talking enough about them. Probably a little too much attention being paid to Ohio State. A lot of pieces to replace there. But, Des, Penn State's a sleeper. And when Penn State's a sleeper, they're extremely dangerous. I tell you what, I watched the uh, Big Ten media day with uh, Coach Franklin and some of his players, and I tell you, one thing about these guys is that they have a bad taste in their mouth about what happened from what happened a year ago. You know, they start off the season, like Greg said, with five straight losses, and they finish strong. But Jahan Dotson said, you know, there are a lot of guys who decide to come back. Now, they lost a lot on the defensive line. There's no doubt about that. But offensively, there were some guys like Jahan Dotson who decided to come back. And they say that they're hungry, that these guys are going out there playing with a championship effort. He was asked about his quarterback, Sean Clifford. And Dotson said that he's playing now out there with a, with a chip on his shoulder. He 
Yankees. He's given a championship effort every time they take the field. And even defensive players said that Sean Clifford is motivating them, that he's a guy who's making them better every time he goes out there on the field because he's not taking any shorts. So I think this Penn State team, they got something to prove in 2021. They were very disappointed from the record a year ago. They were happy the way that they finished the season because, like Greg said, the way they started, they could have just folded their tent, but they didn't mail it in. They were competitive, but now they're out to prove a point in 2021. Very excited to see James Franklin and the Nittany Lions this season. I'm in the bounce back camp as well. I just think the strong leadership that, that's in place, it's just too strong uh, to see anything different. And you're right, the way they chose not to fold at the tail end of last season goes a long way in what we'll see this time around. Uh, what, what will we see, though, in terms of the way college football looks as a whole? Well, that we don't know. This in the wake of the news that Texas and Oklahoma have reached out to the SEC about potentially joining that conference. It's shaking it, everything up, and we'll continue to talk about that on College Football Live. You will also hear from two of the most energetic college coaches in the country, P.J. Fleck and Pat Fitzgerald, both on deck, coming up on College Football Live. You know, hard-hitting questions coming out of yesterday. You know, I think one of them was uh, whether or not the horns down is going to be 15-yard penalty uh, in the SEC in the future. Uh, so I asked Commissioner Sankey in the hall hallway, and he gave me a strong rebuttal by saying no comment. So we'll see where that goes. Not the only place we've heard no comment. College football still reeling from a Houston Chronicle report suggesting Texas and Oklahoma have reached out about joining the SEC. If that comes to fruition, boy, what a change. The SEC would go from 14 teams to 16 and likely mean an entire reshuffling of their East and West division format. College football reporter Mark Slaybaugh joins us now. And Mark, uh, listen, this is all the buzz right now, understandably so. How real are these overtures? I think they're real. Multiple sources have told us that there's been contact, but no formal request from the Texas and Oklahoma presidents to be considered for SEC membership, which has to take place for, for anything to, to happen. We know Big 12 presidents and chancellors are meeting this evening to discuss the situation. I think most schools were blindsided by this news yesterday. Um, sources have said that they believe Oklahoma and Texas want to leave the Big 12 for the SEC, but, but one hurdle, which I reported yesterday, is that they signed over their media rights to the Big 12 through the 2024 football season, and under that agreement, the Big 12 would own those rights even if those schools leave. Mark, listen, that is a huge deal. So when the Big 12 gets together tonight, as we understand they are, and they say, hey, we got these two teams that want to leave, I mean, what, what is that discussion like? Look, we're not going to let them go, basically? I mean, let's try to convince them to stay. Um, you know, they've been down this road before with Texas and Oklahoma uh, back in 2012. Both schools nearly left for the Pac-12. Um, they're the two linchpins in that league. Unfortunately, the Big 12 really isn't much without them.
Yeah, listen, it's a, t it's a tough spot to be in in a lot of ways. The SEC, meanwhile, would require 11 of its 14 teams to approve uh, the invitation should they decide to invite Texas and Oklahoma. How much resistance do you anticipate from existing schools in the SEC? Texas A&M Athletics Director Ross Bjork has, has already been very uh, outspoken about it, been very defensive, telling reporters at SEC Media Day that the Aggies left the Big 12 for the SEC to be a one-pony show in the state and that he doesn't want Texas in. Uh, I had talked to somebody in the league, the SEC, earlier today, and, and he said that he thought the Aggies might be the only school opposed to it. Um, you know, there's been a long-standing gentleman's agreement inside the SEC where schools could block their in-state rivals from joining. It's why Georgia Tech wasn't allowed back in. It's why Florida State and Clemson, uh, you know, the perception was they'd never get in. But, you know, there's nothing written in stone. I know one thing, there won't be a Longhorn network in the SEC without a Crimson Tide network. Wow. There is so, uh, so many factors and so much in play, Mark. Certainly will be interesting to watch. We thank you. Appreciate your input. Thank you, Wendy. Two interesting teams from 2020. Northwestern had a great season going 7-2. and two. That includes a berth in the Big Ten title game, not to mention a bowl win. On the other hand, P.J. Flex Minnesota squad finished under 503-4. and four. Both coaches spoke today. Here's Coach Fleck on what he takes from last year's tough season. I don't put a lot of stock into just the record like all of you do from last year. There was a lot of different things that were way more important than football that we focused on. Now, we win two overtime games. We're 5-2, and two, and everybody's talking about how good we were. And that's just two overtime games. We didn't do that. Right. So we also could have been one in six. Right. We have to find a way to win the close games. We know that. I knew the focus a little bit today would be on what we've lost. I couldn't be more excited about what we have. And, and you look at the way we've recruited. You look at where our recruiting is at right now. It's at an all time high. We've got exciting, an exciting locker room. I think we've got as much depth and talent maybe uh, in my time. But we'll, we'll see how it plays out as we go through camp. We're going to find out right away with the challenging opener on Friday night against Michigan State at home. Uh, so we, we've got a lot of work to do in these next six weeks getting ready for that game. Des, for better or worse, which of these two teams is most likely to repeat their 2020 result? I tell you what, you know, I really do like Northwestern. Uh, Minnesota looks very strong. They returned a lot of the guys on the offensive line and they're running back. But what, what Northwestern does is they do a lot with little. And they're going to have to really do that this season. They only return eight starters from a year ago. They only bring back less than 40% of the productivity from last season. That's last in the FBS. But you heard Coach Fitzgerald. He's not worried about what he doesn't have. He's excited about what he has. Now, they still haven't even figured out who's going to be their starting quarterback going into the season. Now, maybe Coach Fitzgerald knows, and he's just being a little coy, but he wouldn't announce it at the Big Ten uh, media days. So Ryan Halinski is a guy who people are, are targeting as the starting quarterback. But what I really do like about Northwestern, Greg, is these guys, they're smart. They're fundamentally sound. They don't beat themselves. They open up the season – 
on the Friday night against Michigan State, which is very unusual for teams to open up against a conference opponent. They will know exactly where they are very early in the season with after that Friday night game against the Spartans. But I have a lot of confidence in Coach Fitzgerald and his coaching staff and them guys getting them right back to where they were a year ago, Greg. When you look at at Northwestern, you're right, Des. I mean, they're well coached. They do what they're supposed to do. They play the game collectively better than each individual person. But when I look at Minnesota, I think this is a team that almost has to get better. And it, the reality is it can't get much worse, especially on the defensive side of the football. Now, they've had some positive things to look at offensively. I like their running back. I like their quarterback. They have decent pieces in the receiving core. So I think offensively they'll score points and thus be more effective on that side of the football. But you cannot tell me that in the Big Ten West, Des, you can allow over 200 yards a game rushing and expect to be competitive. Who do you play in the Big Ten West? Wisconsin. Iowa, <laughs> Northwestern, teams that want to establish the line. How about Brett Bielema led Illinois team? Teams that want to run the football. You cannot, under any yep. circumstances, allow that type of, I guess, lack of a better word, tackling performance over and over and over again this year. Mm -hmm. Now, I know they had to replace a lot of pieces off the 2019 defense. It's understandable they were going to take a slight step back, but to expect them to take that big of a step back is something that's really concerning. So if they don't get that addressed, and they will not improve that much in wins and losses because in that league, in that division, you better be able to stop the run. That's not something Minnesota did very well last year. We're going to talk more about that Brett Bielema-led Illinois squad as well, Greg, coming up. Uh, we're also going to talk to Mackenzie Milton. If you haven't followed this story, it really is fantastic to see this athlete back on the field after a devastating injury. It has been a long road and now he'll suit up for Florida State. He joins us next on College Football Live. Mackenzie Milton was one of the best quarterbacks in the country in 2018, but hasn't played in two years after dislocating his right knee, suffering ligament, nerve, and artery damage during a game in November 2018 while at UCF. He's now at Florida State and looks to continue his remarkable journey back. And Mackenzie joins us now, and I think everybody's pulling for you, Mackenzie, but I, I know it has been one long road. What is it like to be where you are right now on the road back? Uh, just a blessing, you know, to be here at uh, Florida State representing this university and this team. Um, just super excited to suit back up and get back on the football field. Does it feel foreign to you? Does it feel weird at all? Or is it, is it still second nature? <laughs> um, you know, it just, feels, it just feels like a blessing, you know, just to be back on that football field. And, uh, you know, it's a little different being in a different uniform now, but, you know, I'm embracing it. With, uh, with everything I am and just having fun every moment out there and just, just yeah, just loving, just loving getting the opportunity to play the game I love again. What are you most looking forward to? Obviously, I know you're playing a game you say you love, but in particular, what are you looking forward to? I think just suiting up for game day again, you know, just going through that process and, you know, going through the highs and lows of the season. Um, and just going on this journey with this group of guys uh, that, I've, that I've built relationships with, you know, from January up to this point. Uh, just really excited um, 
for what 2021 is going to unfold for this Florida State football team. Well, Mackenzie, we wish you the best of luck. Our fingers are crossed, and we'll be watching. Right on. Look forward to it. Thank you. And we continue to follow the story that could shake up college football. Could Texas and Oklahoma leave the Big 12 for the SEC? It's been a hot topic at Media Days in Hoover, Alabama. Here's Texas A&M Athletic Director Ross Bjork yesterday, just after the news broke. You know, our, our position is, look, there's a reason why we left the Big 12 back in 2011 and started in July 1st of 2012 is that we wanted to have a standalone identity in the state of Texas and all the turmoil that was happening in college athletics at the time. And so the SEC has been a perfect fit for us. And we believe that we want to maintain that, that same identity. I've been trying to tell people everybody wants to play in the SEC, man. And if uh, you can attract a couple of of really good schools to come play, that's great. Uh, I immediately called my athletic director and Jim and told him that uh, if the commissioner changes and adds two games to our schedule, I think we all understand that Mark Womack's gonna put both Texas and OU on Mizzou's schedule moving forward. So we're ready for any challenge that uh, is thrown at us. We're joined now by ESPN's college football reporter, Heather Denich. And Heather, it's been just about 24 hours now since this news broke. And I got to tell you what I wouldn't give to be on the fly on the wall tonight as the Big 12 gets together. We understand they will hold a meeting to talk about, you know, what's happening and what's next. What, what can you tell us? Well, Wendy, one source in the Big 12 told me that he doesn't think that this is actually going to happen, that this is Texas and Oklahoma's way of pressuring the Big 12 to get a good negotiation in terms of a TV deal. Other people that I have spoken to have said this might happen sooner than later. So the general thinking right now is that nobody knows for sure if or when Oklahoma and Texas would leave the Big 12, but college administrators who have a stake in anything, I can tell you are planning for it to happen in case it does. Because if Texas and Oklahoma do leave the Big 12, there would be a mad scramble for the remaining teams and sort of a survival of the fittest for the other conferences who are out there. But I can also tell you it wouldn't surprise me if Texas and Oklahoma also reached out to the Pac-12 to see if there was any interest there because that's been done before. And remember, it's the university presidents who are the ones making these decisions and academics plays a role in this. And I know that the Pac-12 would regard Texas at least very highly. Listen, it's a game of musical chairs. Somebody's going to get left out. There's absolutely no question about that. You've covered the college football playoff since its inception in 2014. Heather, I have to believe, I know, in fact, that there would be major ramifications if this were to happen. What, what would it look like? What would it mean? Well, you know, one person talked to me about how if Texas and Oklahoma went to the SEC and they went, let's say, 10 and 2 or 9 and 3, they're probably still going to get into the playoff having played an SEC schedule. Now, if the CFP were to stay at 4, it would make sense for them to stay in the Big 12, right? Because you've got the the two biggest fish in the ocean there and Oklahoma obviously has been there, done that. Um, they haven't won it, but they clearly have established themselves as a semifinal team. So, you know, somebody in the Big 12 said, I don't understand 
for a competitive reason why they would join the SEC, but clearly a monetary reason is floating out there. But there's no question that it would change the scope of the CFP, but I think that there are still a lot of questions to be answered about the 12-team format, and they're in this feasibility phase, and this throws a monkey wrench into the entire thing. Well, it's fascinating because you've got name image likeness that has changed. You've got a potential playoff expansion that we're looking at. And now maybe a reshuffling of all the conferences. I mean, college football at the present seems completely in flux. Well, I can tell you this. Before this news broke, I spoke to Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby just about name, image, and likeness, the Supreme Court decision. And he said that in his 40 years of being an athletic administrator, he has never seen so much change happen in a short period of time. And like I said, that was before this news broke. All right. Crazy train is rolling. All aboard. Uh, we'll be watching. Heather, thank you. Thanks. Speaking of crazy trains, how about this? Baptism by fire. No other way to coach your first year with a new team than to coach your first year with a new team. That's the case for Brian Harson at Auburn. Brett Bielema at Illinois. Both have head coaching jobs, of course, under their belt. But this will be a different situation taking over storied programs uh, looking to bounce back in a lot of ways. Here is Brian Harson at Auburn. I want to be able to be a part of a program that when you win, all right, your fans go crazy and go downtown and we toilet paper trees. I mean, how awesome is that? I've never been a part of that. I've been a part of great programs and I've been around great people, but you have all these things. And, you know, for me, I'm looking forward to that. That's why you come to Auburn. That's why you're in the SEC, because it does mean more, all right, and opportunities like that. It's not, it's not like that at other places. Anytime I've seen a great organization, right, um, uh, both in football and in life, right, or in marriages or in, in uh, 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 business platforms, you have to represent and understand the environment you're in, right? And for us to be successful at Illinois, we need to be supported by the people that make Illinois possible. So fans, alumni, donors, administration, uh, general university, uh, all those things are very, very important uh, to make Illinois be great for a long time. I totally get Coach Harson's point, Des, but I don't want him bringing that toilet paper idea to my neighborhood. He can just keep it right there at Auburn. Uh, which, which job, <laughs> which of these two jobs is tougher to step into? Well, Wendy, I don't think it's the uh, Illinois job. I think Brett Bielema is okay. The expectations aren't that that high in Champaign. And plus, he understands the Big Ten, the, the footprint he's coached there before. Brian Harson stepping in at Auburn, huge shoes to fill, huge expectations. And when I say huge shoes to fill, I understand that Gus Malzahn isn't there now because he couldn't win certain games. But we do know that when they did struggle at times, he used to find a way to beat Alabama. So Brian Harson, no matter how the season's going, he has to go up against his arch nemesis, which is going to be Nick Saban, which just happens to be the greatest college football coach we've ever seen. He's going to have to beat that guy year in and year out unless that's the only game that he suffers that L. So I think the expectations are are much higher in the SEC with Auburn. I think that Brian Harson is going to have um, it's going to be an uphill battle. He's a fantastic coach, but it's a different culture in in Auburn than it was at Boise State. I don't see what the big deal is. I mean, just beat the greatest college coach of all time and then move on. You'll be just fine. <laughs> I mean, seems like seems like yeah, right, the plan right. does. Uh, listen.
<laughs> Coastal Carolina had a pretty good game plan last year. The shots and players made some noise. They were a lot of fun to watch. Had a tremendous season. You will hear from head coach Jamie Chadwell and how he plans to follow up his Sunbelt title and their 11-1 campaign. words but there are a few and that was Coastal Carolina of course after a, a great 2020 season they ended by the way with a number 14 ranking they got their first ever Sunbelt Conference title and 11 and one overall mark Jamie Chadwell the head coach had this to say we win the games a certain way by playing for each other having a big having a big purpose it, it's got to be more than just winning games at Coastal uh, there's got to be a big why and so for us we got to make sure we keep the focus on what we do and how we win games we get in trouble when we think we've we're better in a certain team and we can overlook that team and go forward every every game will be a challenge for us there's going to be a, a a bigger target on our back at least going into the season than there was last year so that's a little different challenge uh, but the main thing that we do is we focus on on what we have to do each week to try to play at a high level and win that championship that week so um starting game one they're all challenging the Chanticleer is hoping to follow up and make some more noise. Programming note here, our next UFC fight night, Saturday from the Apex in Las Vegas. Another stacked card. The prelims start at 4 o'clock Eastern. That's on ESPN, ESPN Deportes, and ESPN Plus, followed by the main card at 7. Former champ DJ Dillashaw makes his return to the Octagon. He will face number two ranked Corey Sandhagen at the Bantamweight main event. College Football Live continues right after this. Football season just around the corner. That means it's time for fantasy fit football. Get your league set. Go to ESPN.com slash fantasy football to set your lineups. Speaking of our lineup, coming up Friday to round out the week on College Football Live, Big Ten Media Days continue from Indianapolis. We've got Ohio State and Wisconsin stepping up to the mic. We'll be live once again on College Football Live. Have a great day, everybody. Happy to have you with us. For Desmond Howard and Greg McElroy, I'm Wendy Nix saying see you on Friday.